chapter 6 this morning. We are preaching our way through this great book of the Bible, and I hope that you are uh, gaining spiritual ground. I hope that you have gained much in our studies of this uh, great book, and I hope that you'll stay with us through all of it. There are several of you last week made comments and uh, contact with us concerning points and passages and sections of the Romans 6 passage, and I appreciate your comments about them, and I appreciate your insights to them, and the things you're saying is help to me too, and I appreciate you sharing those. This morning, Romans chapter 6, we begin reading in verse number 8. Romans 6 and verse number 8. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Verse number 10, For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. We've mentioned again and again the important passages that we're into here in Romans chapter 6. And I do not want you to miss that Romans chapter 5 has one of the other key verses, and that's in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And you say, well, Pastor, you mention this every single Sunday. Very, very obvious reason. I don't want you to ever forget it. Romans chapter 5, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. The point of the passage is so often missed because the illusion in the last phrase is for all have sinned assumes that's all of our sins that we're presently committing. That's a mistake. That's not what the verse says. The fact is, if you were born into this world and you never sinned one time, you'd still die and go to hell. The reason is for what that verse of Scripture teaches is it explains why babies die. And I've said it over and over again, it's why everybody dies. By one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death because of that sin passed upon everybody. Babies, old men, old women, young men, young women, middle-aged, middle-aged people, whatever. And then it says, so death passed upon all men for one reason, for that all have sinned. Well, babies don't sin, then they shouldn't die. But they did sin in Adam. And you need to get a grip on that. If you miss that, you miss so much of the truth of the gospel. And, and I say to people all the time, in fact, in context of the message today, it comes out again. And then Romans chapter 6, not only dealing with the fact that we're sinners in Adam, but also that we do our own sin. We certainly do sin. But uh, the key there of that verse is regarding and relating to Adam. But here in chapter 6, the truth that is so exciting is the truth that Christ not only paid the penalty for our sin, but Christ also paid, as it were, for the provision for you not to sin. And that's what's important about Romans 6. And you can see it all the way through, and it's crystal clear because. It's crystal clear because he could not tell you not to sin if he had not made a provision for you not to sin. God would be a mockery. Amen? Is that not right? If God told you not to do something, and you could not do that, would not God be mocking you? Sure he would be. So if he tells you not to do it, it's a given. He's made a provision for it not to happen. And it means it's up to you to make the choice. If he says to you, don't sin, 
then the obvious thing is, if God knows you, and He does, then He knows you can't do it without some help. Well, where did that help come from? That help came when He died on the cross of Calvary. He made a provision for you not to sin. And that's what Romans chapter 6 is all about. Let me take you to the message for today, though. And I, I say this, and uh, sometimes you'll miss the opening statements, but these are the foundation for everything else I'm going to say. To understand the Christian life, I am convinced that you have to understand death. See what I'm saying? To understand the Christian life, I believe with all of my heart, the Bible teaches you have to understand death. If you don't understand death, you don't understand the Christian life. And I'll tell you why. Two things. You have to understand the death of Christ. And uh, that seems so simple. Everybody understands Christ died on the cross. On death. There's more to it than that. And the reason there's more to it than that is it amazes me that we still meet people trying to get to heaven by their own works and their own goodness and their own righteousness. Those people do not understand the Christian life because they do not understand the wide expanse and effect of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you understand why Christ died and how He died and all the ramifications, then you'll understand the Christian life and you'll understand that it's not by works of righteousness which you have done or could do or ever ought to do. But it's not that at all. It's what He did on the cross. He did the whole thing. And so the death of Christ is misunderstood by people who do not, as it were, think that that's enough. They, they want to work and they, you know, I keep the Ten Commandments and yes, I got baptized and yes, I've joined a church. And they give you all these things they've done and what they're saying is, I don't understand why Christ died. I'm telling you, Christ died to pay your sin debt. He did not die to help you pay your sin debt. He died to pay your sin debt. And yet people want to say, well, you know, I think you, I, Christ died for me, but I think I got to, I think I, no, you don't think that? You got to let loose and say, he did it all. I can do nothing to save me, and I'm trusting that as my salvation. That's what true salvation is. So I don't think they understand the death of Christ. The second thing I don't think they understand is that uh, the Bible teaches in chapter number 6 what I count as one of the great truths of the whole Bible. And that is this. Since they do not understand Christ's death, they then do not understand the truth that when Christ died on the cross, as this chapter teaches, they died with him. So if you're dead with Christ, you, like Him, are dead to sin. Now, whether you act like it or not is your choice, but you are. You're not going to be, and you don't need to die daily to sin. You died when Christ died on the cross. Romans chapter 6 makes that crystal clear. It is not you're going to. It's not that you should. It is that you have. If there's any truth in Romans 6, that's it. That it says when, you, when Christ died on the cross, you died with Him. Now, what you do about that is in your court, ball's in your corner, and the monkey's on your back. But the fact is, that's what happened. Christ provided salvation in His death, His resurrection, but He also provided our victory over sin, our freedom from the dominion of death. Those things are taught, and they're taught crystal clear. Let me take you to two passages of Scripture. One of them is Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 1, you probably remember it. It's that passage that deals with the death of Christ on the cross. It's, it's referring to Christ hanging on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, not His. And it says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? That's what Psalm 22, verse 1 says. It is reminding us that it was our sins that were His own Christ that caused the Holy Heavenly Father to forsake him and literally turn his back upon his son. But when you come to the next chapter, which is Psalm 23, let me uh, read Psalm 23 quickly, uh, at least the beginning of Psalm 23. Look, if you would, at the first four verses. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. 
just after the Lord was my sacrifice in chapter 22, the Lord is now my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It's interesting in chapter 22, verse 1, he is the sacrifice for our sins, and it's because of our sins that the Holy Heavenly Father turns his back and forsakes his son. His son had no sin of his own. He was the spotless son of God, sinless son of God. But when you come to chapter 23, verse 1, it's obvious that David's got a different perspective altogether. What's the difference here? It's a difference of relationship. And in this relationship, what he's talking about is we come to him in a new relationship. He's our shepherd. He's our master. He's our Lord. And he's our savior. He comes to him also in this text of scripture and he meets our needs. That's what this passage of scripture. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. That's the meaning of need. These were sheep. This is a symbolism, an illusion of sheep. And these sheep had their needs met because he put them in a place where their needs could be met. Then he goes further and he comes to a point of direction. He gives us direction for our life. Decisions that you have to make and will make all the time. The Lord wants to help you make those. And they need to be made in the context of who he is and what he's about. And this verse of scripture says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures and he leadeth me beside the still waters. He does a great job of leading us. But only as we, as it were, comply with him. As we surrender to him. As we're sensitive to him. But then when you come to the end of the four verses, then he says, And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he's there with me. So the fact of the matter is our Lord comes to us in these areas of need, comes to us in a new relationship, comes to us in meeting our needs. He comes to us with giving direction to our life. And then when it comes to the sunset years and we come to that point where we're going to pass off the scene, he says, I promise you, I'll be with you. And I say that to the New Life Baptist Church because just as last week as Mrs. Butler buried her mother, I remind you that we're not getting any younger. We're all getting older. And there'll be a day when you will be called on to face the reality of your own death. And it is important there'll be two or three things be assured to you. One, be assured that you know Jesus Christ as Savior, that you're trusting the work of Christ on the cross and His resurrection and not your own efforts of goodness. It's important. It's important to me. If you want me to do your service, you need to make me feel comfortable. Now, you won't know a thing about it, so it doesn't care for you, but it cares a lot to me. If I'm standing up here and teaching, preaching about a, a, a circumstance, I want to be confident that I can say, this is brother so-and-so, this is Mrs. so-and-so, and she trusted Christ as Savior, and she had absolute assurance of this fact. And let me tell you something. That, that says something, and it says something to the people out here in an audience when they hear that the person who passed away faced the reality of their own death and faced the reality of the redemption that's found only in Jesus Christ and assured of this truth, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe, and I've not been trying to beat myself to death trying to make it on my own. You can stand up and tell people that there's an encouragement in that. This is, this is where the rubber of Christianity meets the road of reality, and that's in this matter of death and dying. I'll tell you what, if it's not good enough to die with, it's not good enough to live with. And so you ought to face up the fact that you're going to die. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And you ought to recognize that your day is coming as is mine. And you ought to deal with any question. It's no time to wait till the last breaths are being, you know, breathed out and they get short and stocky breath. You ought to say right now, look, I have some concerns. And, and if you do, you need to talk to someone around here and let them know. Talk to me. Talk to our deacon board. Talk to our Sunday school teachers. And they'll be able to help you get this thing settled for sure, for certain. So when you face death, you can say with confidence, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. 
Now, I'm telling you, that's not just words in a sweet psalm that's printed on a brochure in a funeral home. That's out of God's eternal word. And it's His statement of declaration to you and me. And it was given with the ideal to give encouragement. Now, with that said, go back to Romans chapter 6 and uh, get tied in as it were to get ready for today's text. And to do that, let me remind you of what verse 6 said. In verse number 6, there are two things that are established in verse 6. Knowing this. I remind you, there are some things that Paul wrote to the Romans and said, you're just expected to know this. This is not some uh, off-the-wall kind of thing. You you know this. You should know this. And I said it before. There are a lot of things about the Bible we should know that we don't. And it's only because of our lack of commitment to it. But he says, knowing this. And the first thing is that our old man is crucified with him. So in one single phrase, he's got two points. One, Christ was crucified. Two, the old man died with him. Now that's what it says. That's what verse 6 says. That's established fact. So then go from verse 6 to verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now were we crucified with Christ? Yes or no? Yes. Then verse 7 comes into play. Okay, he that is dead is freed from sin. That's you and me. We just died with him. We're freed from sin. We don't have to pay a sin debt. We don't have the penalty of sin on our shoulder. And he's even made a provision to, for us to deal with sin in our life. He's done all that. So in verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. And that's his statement. By the way, uh, listen to what Augustine said. I'm not a fan of Augustine and I don't read him often. But boy, when he comes up with something, I'm not above using it. Let me tell you. Here are statements. You need to listen carefully to these, but these are, these are good. First off, before Adam fell, he was able to sin. Now, just think with me here. Before Adam fell, he was able. That means he did, he had not sinned before the fall, but he was able to sin. Follow me? He could. He hadn't until the fall, but after the fall, point number two, after Adam fell, he was not able not to sin. Before, he was able to sin, but at that point he hadn't. After the sin, or after the fall, he was not able not to sin. It was just in him. That's the way it was. Then, Christ died on the cross for our sin. We placed our faith in him. We are now able not to sin. We're now able not to sin. And the fourth statement Augustine makes is, After our death, in our glorified state, when we see the Lord, we will not be able to sin. I like that. Four statements, but absolute true statements. Before the fall, Adam was able to sin, but he had not. After the fall, Adam was not able not to sin. He sinned all the time, and I, as you and me did before we came to know Christ, and to us, we didn't even think about it as sin. We just thought it was our lifestyle. And then Christ died on the cross. We placed our faith in Him, and we are able not to sin. We can have a choice. He made a provision that we could make a choice and abstain. And then after our death and in our glorified state, when we see the Lord, we're not able to sin. I like that. Augustine might not have been really smart on some stuff, but he's smart on that, and he got it right. Here's the thing. That's well stated, and what that does is sets us up for what verse 8 says, and that's the context of today's message. Now, with that understood, and what he's saying, with those things established, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And most of us would read that and say, well, yeah, we all understand that. That, that takes us back over here to uh, where we preached through 2 Corinthians. And when we did, we got on to chapter number 5. And that's what chapter 5 is about where it says this. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. 
For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Verse 3, If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of his spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that, whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. For we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Now as wonderful as 2 Corinthians 5 verses 1 through 8 is, Romans 6 verse 8 is not about that. That's not what Romans 6, 8 is saying. Romans 6, 8, now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. This verse of Scripture is not talking about the future. This verse of Scripture is talking about, in its context, the presence. And you can see that when you skip down to verse number 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Present tense. This is all right now. This whole context is about the fact that Christ died on the cross, he was buried, and he rose again. He dealt with sin fully and completely and absolutely. And so what that says now is since sin is dealt with absolutely, completely, you're freed from sin. Penalty has been paid. Provision has been made. So when you face sin, you can say, I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to do that. I know that's wrong, and I am not going to do that. Now, will you every time? No, you won't do that every time. But you have the provision made for you to do it. So let's put sin where sin ought to be. And that is, when we sin, we sin by choice, not by force. We're not the devil doesn't make me do it, and the atmosphere didn't make me do it, and the, ad, you know, the, in the context of our culture didn't make me do it. If I sin, I sin because I choose to sin. I make my mind up, this is what I want, and this is what I'm going to do. But I remind you, Christ made a provision for you. He paid the provision that you had the power to say no to sin. You see, it would be ridiculous for God to send His Son to die on the cross to save you from your sin, but not give you the provision of power to say no to sin that would continue to nag your heels the rest of the long, long as you live on this earth. So what He did, He not only paid the penalty, but He gave you the power to say no to sin. And the provision is what's tied up in this text of Scripture. It's the same thing that Paul wrote about when he said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. What's he talking about? Christ dealt with sin and rose victorious over it when he was in his, in his resurrection. Power was a power that had conquered sin. In Christ, our sin has been conquered. And all I have to do is draw upon the power that he's provided, and therefore I can say no to sin. Look at verse number 9. Romans 6, verse 9. Knowing, this is something else he said, you should know this. This is expected knowledge. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. Again, here the truth that they were expected to know was simply Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. It says a lot of things and some of which we'll not take time to deal with here. But one of them is for sure. That since he died for sin, sin's been dealt with. There is nothing more that you can add to. Let me, let me travel two roads in this verse. One of them you'll call a rabbit trail, but believe me, it's not. The first one is this. This is the first path we travel. The first is this. The truth, the point, the argument that Paul is making is the purpose for Christ dying has been completely fulfilled and finished. That's what he did. There need not be and there should not be ever an occurrence of the death of Christ on the cross again because when Christ died in dealing with our sin, he did a complete job and there's no redoing of that. 
Second thing you need to know is, and this is the second path that we follow here, you understand that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. That statement, that statement is why we Baptist folk condemn the ideal of the recreation of Christ's death in a Catholic Mass. That's exactly why we say, hey, we don't have a Mass at the New Life Baptist Church. Why don't you have it? Because Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. And a mass is nothing more than a recreation of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. By the way, this statement is why our crosses are in. In my office, I have a crucifix. I have a cross, and it came from a Catholic family. And on the, this cross, somehow, what you did was you evidently put your, your rosary inside of it. I have a rosary. A lady got saved and gave me her rosary, and I have that in there. So what you do is you take this Christ, you, you sort of push this thing up, and then you have just a cross, and inside of it you have this hollowed out place, and that's where you put the rosary, and then you hang Christ back on the cross, and so you got this crucifix. I thought it was interesting. You have, with the crucifix, it's Catholic, you take that thing off, and the cross, it's Baptist. That's Baptist, now it's Catholic. You know, point made is that these dear friends are missing one of the greatest truths in all the Bible. Christ died once. And he doesn't need to be re-crucified and re-stretched out on a cross again and placed in a tomb. If the fact is, there is no crucified cross, Christ on a cross, and beyond the cross, there's a tomb. And by the way, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. You see, he's not hanging on a cross dead, and he's not lying in a tomb decaying. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for them that believe. Jesus Christ is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. And for that reason alone, if there were no other, you ought to understand if you have a loved one who died in Christ, they are more alive right now than they've ever been in all their existence. They are alive, and they're in, alive in another atmosphere. The same way that a fish does well in water, you take him out, he's in another atmosphere, and he won't go very well. But the fact of the matter is, those people are at a different level, in a different place, in a different time. My mother and father are there. I look forward to going to heaven already, but I look forward more now to see them again. I have a lot of folks, and as Brother Earl and I were talking at his wife's funeral, there's getting to be a lot more folks over there that you have connected to than there are over here. You know, the circle over here keeps getting narrower. Over there, it keeps getting bigger. And the folks are home, and they're at ease. And, and my goodness, how, as a pastor, I look forward to seeing it. I hate to bury our members. I don't enjoy that. I love our people, and I, I hate to bury them. But boy, every time I do, I rejoice in this. They know Christ, and they're alive forevermore, just like He is. And at this very moment, He sits alive, seated at the right hand of the Father, certain and come. Let me tell you this, and this is important. You see, the false teaching that the Catholic Church, our friends in the Catholic Church, and I'm not mean and ugly, I'm just telling you what is truth. I, I care deeply for Catholic folks, and I care deeply enough to tell them that the false teaching of transubstantiation is, is the most unbelievable thing in all the world if the members of the Catholic Church could understand it and see what it's saying, what the church is really teaching. I believe they change in a heartbeat of what they say they believe. First off, transubstantiation. That's the big word, but it's simple to understand. It's a Latin word, or it comes from a Latin word, and it takes off first with the prefix called trans, T-R-A-N-S. Trans means across. Substantiate is the word that carries with it a substance. So you have transubstantiation is the way it's written. In a Catholic manual, here's what it said. Put together transubstantiation, quote, the real substance of the body of Christ was carried over 
across into the bread and wine of the communion service. Now, what that means, my friend, is that the Catholic Church, every time they celebrate Mass, believe that the bread and wine become the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, every time we celebrate Mass, that is, they do, they celebrate the death of the Lord Jesus Christ again. And I mean, they're serious about this. Let me read to you. And this is their writing. This is not a Baptist assumption. This is their quote. This comes from the, the Lateran the Lateran Council back in 1215. This is when this first one was written. Listen to this. Quote, There is one universal church of the faithful, outside of which no one at all is saved, in which Jesus Christ himself is both priest and sacrifice, whose body and blood are truly contained in the shapes of the bread and the wine and the sacrament of the altar having by the power of God been transubstantiated the bread into this body and the wine into his blood, so that perfecting the mystery of the union, we ourselves might receive of him what he himself received of us. They're telling you that when you receive that wafer and that wine, you, my friend, actually physically, literally receive the Lord Jesus Christ because he is right there and then been re-crucified before your eyes. That's absolutely a lie. He died once, and he will never die again, and it doesn't matter whether you be Catholic, Baptist, Presbyterian, or Methodist. You can't make it happen again. He ain't going to happen again. It went further, and they wrote this in, in the Council of Trent. And it says, this is in, under Canon 1. It says, quote, If anyone shall deny that the body and blood together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore the entire Christ, is truly, really, substantially contained in the sacraments of the most holy Eucharist, it shall be that he is only in it as a sign or a figure. That is, if you say it's just a sign or a figure, let him be accursed. They wrote it in there. I didn't. So they're saying, you Baptists who don't believe that Jesus Christ is literally found in the bread and the wine, let him be accursed. Let him be condemned to hell is the word that's used in some translations. Let me tell you something. I tell you what's being condemned to hell is that the devil is having a heyday making people believe that you can recreate the mass or the death of Christ and it somehow adds some credential or value to your own soul relationship with. That's absolutely a lie from the devil. And this passage of Scripture underlines that truth. Jesus Christ died once and he finished what he set out to do. Never will he need to do it again. No church, not even the Catholic church, as big as it is, has any business recreating his death. Look at verse number 10, Romans 6. Romans 6, verse 10, For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. As if Paul almost heard somebody teaching the recreated death, the mass. And Paul says, oh, no, 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 that's not the way it's done. He died unto sin once. That's an interesting thing. Somebody would say, wait a minute, Pastor, don't we, uh, don't we serve communion here at the New Life Baptist Church? Yes, we do. Well, don't, isn't that an ordinance of the church? Yes, it is. In fact, just last Sunday evening, I believe we did it. We had uh, communion service. Well, Pastor, isn't that what we are redoing? Are we recreating the death of Christ? No. We're going strictly by what the Scriptures teach in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 26. As often as you do this. You put in remembrance of the death of Christ until he comes. We're not saying we're recreating his death. We're not re-crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. We're doing exactly what he commanded. And as it is commanded is what the text of Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 11. We're doing as the Lord ordered. Paul wrote it. 
And he said, what we're doing is we're putting you in remembrance as often as you drink this wine or this cup and as often as you eat this bread, you do show the Lord's death until he come. Which says something in one, uh, he died once. And you're showing that death back there once again. And two, he is alive because he couldn't come back if, if he weren't. So it's all that is wrapped up in the statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 26. This statement is a statement of great security because it's, uh, it'd be sort of crazy for people to think that if Christ had to die over and over again, it's like it didn't count the first time and he's got to make installments on his own death. So Christ has to come back. How would you like to be, how would you like to be John standing on the Isle of Patmos? You've just been exiled there because you preached the truth that Jesus Christ is alive and, and well and He's the Son of God, the Savior of the world. He can save people from their sins. And you're standing there in your sandals on the Isle of Patmos and somebody shows up one day and says, Oh, by the way, John, uh, Jesus Christ had to go back to the cross. Just hang in there, buddy. You know, He's going to go back and He'll die a second time and he'll, he'll, he'll make up whatever we lost the first round. You know, He's paying installments. He's got to be re, recreated dead. You know? How would you like that? Wouldn't you rather hear what he said in Revelation chapter 1 when he spoke to John? He said, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. I'd say to John, I'd say, boy, that's a little more encouraging, John, to know that he died once. He is now alive, and he's alive forevermore. He doesn't have to die again. He finished what he came to do. By the way, in Romans 6 and verse 10, that latter phrase, it says, But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Several folks debate what that means. And I must confess, I'm not, uh, I'm not one of those people who are 199.9% sure of what it incorporates. But I have a tendency to believe that it says now that he record, as refers to what he did when he was with the Father in the first place. Remember the John 17 passage. It said, And now, O Father, the prayer in John 17, which is the real Lord's Prayer, O Father, for glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Uh, my own personal insight to verse number 10 is that, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. I believe it incorporates his living right this very moment. As it is for us who are here on this earth, we live right this very moment in the victory that's been provided for us in what Christ did on the cross to provide the power to live the Christian life and say no to sin. Jesus Christ is alive this very moment, but is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for those who believe. And I believe that's what he's talking about, that he ever lives. He lives the victorious life that has been given to us and the provision for us to live a life that can say no, absolutely no, to sin. Now, with that said... It's an interesting thing that the theater of Christian living is in the home and in the workplace and in the marketplace. And it's an amazing thing that somehow we want to uh, try to take it to the church and leave it there. I read again this week, I was reading uh, the gospel, Mark's, Mark's gospel, in fact, chapter number 5. And I'm reminded of our Lord pointed this out. Listen to this. He said, And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him... That is, he begged him, he pleaded with him that he might be with him. This guy has just been healed of these devils. You know, the devil's been cast out of this man. And this man comes to our Lord and, and pleads with him that he might go with him, might live with him. Verse 19, how be it Jesus suffered him not, that is, he prevented him. And he saith unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Uh, I find that interesting. We don't, uh, 
We don't need Christians held up in church buildings or communes or monasteries. We need, and God wants His people to be in circulation, in touch with the people who need the Lord. And it's not that we go out there and learn from them and practice what they're doing, but we go out there with confidence that, one, we know Christ as Savior, and two, we have the confidence that we have a provision been made for us to say no to sin, and so we can live above that. We, we can say no to their encouragements. We can say no to their enticements. We can say no to all the things that they're involved in because we know what they're involved in because as they are, we once were. We know what they do. The fact of the matter is, God wants His people to be in circulation so people can see how a person can live a victorious Christian life in Jesus Christ. Someone wrote this, quote, We've gone off to church to find God, and in finding Him, we left Him there. He wants us to take Him home, and He wants to go home with each of us. And He's absolutely right. If your Christianity is only good here at church and you only are kind to your wife here and good to your kids here, you don't have a kind of Christianity the Bible speaks of. The kind of Christianity the Bible speaks of is the kind that changes and transforms your life from the inside out and make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Even your dog and cat will know you have a change of heart. Everything about you is different and distinct. In closing, let me point out, do believers still sin? Yes, sadly they do. We do. But it should be understand, understood what sin does. I jotted down three or four that I read about years ago. One, it soils the soul. It fills the mind. It stings the conscience. It depresses the heart. And it sours the spirit. And it will seal the lips. And it will. Why people don't witness for Christ oftentimes will tie up itself with something that's not right inside. Get that straightened up and their lips get unsealed all of a sudden. They become bold again. They become confident again. But just as you remember what sin does, remember what Christ did. Christ paid for our sin. He paid the penalty for our sin. And He paid for the provision, the power to say no to sin. And I remind you, when He was on the cross, just before He died, He said, it is finished. And that means He finished all of it. Paid the penalty and made the provision for power to say no. He did it all in one shot. And when he got off the cross and was placed in a tomb and was risen again, then by that time and seated and coming back to sit beside the Father in heaven, I'm telling you, all this has been paid for, sealed, signed, and delivered. And it's yours this morning if you've trusted Christ. But listen, sin is still your master if, one, you have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. If there has not been a time in your life where you said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and you believe that Christ died for your sin, and you believed Him to trust Him to take away that sin. If you have not done that, then you're still under the mastership, the leadership of sin. Or, number two, if you've trusted Christ as Savior, but somehow you don't believe Him to take or give to you the power to say no to sin. Remember last week we told you the story of the man who, the two Irish fellows who, who saw the turtle, you know, his head was off. Well, any of you here last week? Yeah, okay, you're here. You remember this turtle that had his head off, and this turtle was still acting like it was alive. You remember what the guy said? He's dead. He just doesn't know it. That's the way it is with people who come to realize the truth of Romans chapter 6 and that Christ died to free us from sin. We're freed from sin. Excuse me, but some of you just don't know it. 
Some of you haven't grab, grabbed that yet. Some of you haven't gripped that thing yet. I was uh, reading this week, and I, I thought about that. There's so many things like that. I clipped this out of a magazine. It says, uh, and it asked this question. And I saw this demonstration done, so I know what this guy's talking about is is really legitimate. And uh, and uh, in fact, Chad, when you get to school, maybe you don't try this. I, I recommend this. This is good. Boy, what age group are you going to be teaching? This will scare him to death. This is good, but uh, this will be no more. Custer's last can stand if you'll tell them this. But anyway, you take a bowling ball. If you ever had a physics class, you know what to do. They take you and put you over the side of a wall over here. They put you up against a wall, and you're standing flat up against the wall over here. They drop a, a drop a cable from the middle of the room, and they put a bowling ball on that thing. Then they draw that bowling ball back over here, and and it touches your chin or your nose. Then they let that bowling ball go, and that job goes. Mm, boy, and the thing is, you got to stand there. Now the question is, how many of you would stand on that wall with a bowling ball on a on a cable drawn all the way over there and touching your chin and stand there till it returns? Would you do it? There's not very few of you. Those of you who would, let me tell you why I believe you would, because you believe in the law of physics. You see, the law of physics said, and who was it? Einstein who did this thing? better trust him, whatever it was. point is, he said that an object hanging, in a sense, on a cable, and he does it in scientific terms, you know, but in essence, the pendulum will rise or, or will never rise higher than the point it started. So if you started over there and that bowling ball was against your chin, you're safe. It will not touch your teeth. Unless he's wrong. Now, if he's wrong, you got trouble. You better get your dental man here. My point is this. People say, I believe in physics. Okay, stand over here. And let's let the big ball go, see? It's one thing to say you believe something. It's another thing to practice it. And then it's something else to believe it wrong. I don't know whether you know it or not. A few years ago, I heard about it. There's a, uh, there's a custom in Korea. South Korea people, on New Year's Day, of their New Year's Day, they will go out and get these kites and you've probably seen a lot of them. They're, they're beautiful. They do a lot of artwork with them and whatever. But on their New Year's Day in South Korea, they'll take these um, kites and they will uh, write on the kites with a pen all of their sins. And then what they do is they feed this line up into the sky. And the kites, they say, are so well designed, they can almost, in fact, many times, put them out of sight. You can't even see them. They go so high. And then when they get to the point where they can't see them anymore, they cut the string. When they return home, statement is made to this effect. All my sins are gone. They have been carried with the wind. I am now safe. You'll forgive me, my South Korean friends, but your sins have not been carried away with the wind. If that's what you're hoping for, you're in a heap of trouble. And yet in this country, there are people who are playing that same silly customary game to think that they can somehow just wish away all their sins. No, your sins don't go away that way. Your sins were taken away. If they are away, they were taken away by a deliberate effort. By the part of God sending His Son into this world, sinless Son, into this world to die for you and your sin on the cross of Calvary. Jesus Christ paid your sin debt. You are, my friend, free this morning if you know Christ as Savior. If you don't, you have a horrible taskmaster. 
but you can trade masters this morning by simply placing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. And the good news is he wants you to come. He wants you to come. All through the scriptures, they're, they're packed with, as it were, invitations to this relationship. So this morning, I invite you on the authority of God's word. If you have never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, don't trust any other means to get rid of your sin. Don't put them on a piece of paper and flush them down a commode. That won't get it. It simply takes you coming to faith with the fact that I am a sinner. Christ is the only Savior. There are not many. There's one. He's the only one. And He died on the cross of Calvary to take care of my sin debt and to provide me, one of His children, the power to say no to sin so I can live a victorious Christian life. And as we'll see later in Romans chapter 6, it is only then when you are freed from sin that you can be a servant of God. That's chapter 6 says so. Now we can become servants of God because before you're serving sin. You either serve sin or you serve God, but you can't serve both. And that so often cuts short service within local church ministry, serving sin. How is it with you this morning? Do you know Christ? If you have doubts... This is the place and this is the time. Let's settle them. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you for its truth. And I pray this morning now that you'll work in our hearts as we come to this invitation. I pray you'll speak to us and pray that you'll deal with us according to your mercy and your grace. Pray for people in this room who may never have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I pray for them that they right here, right now, may step out of their pew and come down to the front and allow someone to take a Bible and show them from the Scriptures how they can be born again and know it. So I'm asking, Father, for you to do your work, and we know you do it so faithfully. And we're asking that you speak to hearts, work in lives, drive the truth of your word deep into every heart. And even as we read in the Sunday school, let this sink down into our ears. And I pray, Father, that indeed it would. And speak now, bring forth fruit that you've ordained for the hour, and glorify yourself by this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Turn in your hymn book, if you need one, to 282, the first stanza. We don't sing long around here because we believe the Holy Spirit does His work faithfully. And we believe that if He's spoken to your heart, you ought not be holding back. You ought to simply say, Lord, speak. Your servant's listening. Or, Lord, as a lost person, I know what that preacher said came from your word, and I believe it. And right here, right now, I'm going to act upon it. And you ought to step out from your pew and come down here. First question I'll ask is to make sure we understand each other. Why have you come? And you simply say, I've come to trust Christ as Savior. I want to know Christ as Savior. I'll understand and we'll have men who deal with men or, or ladies who deal with ladies. But we'll help you. And you don't have to leave here in a quandary. You can leave here certain and sure and secure. And that's the way you ought to leave church. So if God has spoken, whatever he said to you do, do it now. Would you as we sing? 282 verse 1, and together please. Just as I am. If God has spoken to your heart, would you come? If God has spoken to your heart, would you come? If God has spoken to your heart, would you come? Thank you very much. I appreciate your attention.
And I appreciate your presence. May the Lord bless you. I do hope you'll be back with us for this afternoon. And don't forget nursing home services at 2. And do not forget on your way out, men, be sure you sign up for the Father's Day breakfast next Saturday morning at 9.30. And also, all of you, please pick up some of the VBS material on the way out and take it with you and share it with folks today and for the rest of the weeks until VBS shows up. Hope you'll do that. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven again, thank you so very much for the high privilege you've given us to be in your house on this your day. Help us now as we leave this place to take everything we've heard with us. Help us to think on these things. And I pray those things we heard in Sunday school, that they will sink deep into our hearts, our ears, and our heads. And I pray that it will make a difference in our actions, our attitudes for the days ahead. Pray, Father, that you indeed cause each of us in this room to first of all be certain and sure of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Help us not to trust the flesh. Help us not to depend on our own religious abilities, but rather on the work of Christ to the cross, a finished work, a completed work. And Father, then also help us to rest in the fact that we've been freed from sin. As believers, the price has been paid for salvation, but the provision has been made for the power to say no to sin. We do not have to live under the bondage of sin. We've been freed from it. Help us to live like that. Bless, I pray as we go, and bless Brother Don Merchant, our missionary, as he speaks tonight. Give him liberty and your power. And bless the men and the ladies who will be involved in the nursing home ministries this afternoon, the young people. Use all of them to your glory and to edify those believers there and to encourage those who are not believers to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you until we meet again. You are dismissed.